Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. Timons Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. It's your birthday, it's your birthday, happy birthday to you. It's your birthday, it's your birthday, happy birthday to you. Hi and hello, football fans and celebrators of great birthdays. Welcome to the Dave Damashek Football Program, available as always on iTunes and at Stitcher and at NFL.com slash Shaq. Yes, yesterday, Wednesday, we were recording on uh, Thursday afternoon. Yesterday, Wednesday was my birthday. Thanks to uh, those of you who hit me up on the uh, social media. It meant the world to me. And uh, as I tweeted. Oh, that wasn't for your birthday, Shaq. Oh, it wasn't? No, it was for uh, the greatest ever do it, Vince Lombardi. Oh, well, listen, I want to talk about uh, that black tie behind the glass because I contend that I have, I share a birthday with the greatest collection of talent and celebrity that the that any birth date on the calendar has. I'd like to see someone offer up a better lineup than what I've got. But first of all, here in Studio 66, we're about to kibitz about the Top 100 show. On Wednesday night past, we uh, went through numbers 50 on down to 41. Rob Gronkowski showed up there at number 41. We'll talk about that a little bit here. And also coming up in Studio 66 in a little while, Elliot Harrison. I've invited him to join me in here. You fellows will have to clear out the ones in here currently um, because his favorite football player growing up, Drew Pearson of the Dallas Cowboys, is also going to be here in Studio 66. So good times coming up, so stick around for that. But in the meantime, let's say hello to the two fellows joining us. First of all, the chief of Around the League. You can hear him on the Around the League podcast. Of course, they're very fine pages, always delivered with a bit of mirth. It's Greg Rosenthal. What's the poop, fella? Thanks for having me. It's been Certainly. a while. Well, I heard I feel when like Black you were ducking me. No, indeed. No, indeed. Also, I want to say that uh, we brought uh, Rosenthal in here because he happens to be a Patriots supporter, and so I figured a good opportunity to bring him up here as we continue to go through naming our all-division teams. Today, we're going to get to the AFC East, so it made sense to get Rosenthal in here, and then also seated directly across from me is uh, is a man who's not visited us for about a fortnight. That's because his lovely bride just delivered their third child all the way from England. He's the Dolphins fan, so he'll also be able to weigh in, obviously, on the AFC East. It's Handsome Hank. He's Handsome Hank. He's Handsome Hank. He's Handsome Hank. 
What's the poop, handsome? Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm very well indeed, but not as well as you. And because and Muzzletov to you, and uh, I was just mentioning my birthday, and uh, you have uh, an even better birthday to celebrate in your house. The first one, or the the zero. Yeah, the zero one is confusing. I was yes. trying to tell uh, one of my other children. I have I have a new one. My second child, who's a who's a girl, loves to sing Happy Birthday just mm-hmm. just anytime she she wants to. Uh, and so we was trying to explain that you could sing. This is the one time you can sing happy birthday and really mean it because it really was someone's birthday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get that idea through. <laughs> well, so it the must one, be festive then right. around your house it's every day. It's a little day. early to expect her to have the yeah, British no. play of words gene setting. Exactly. You know what I mean? No, no, she, she doesn't have that yet. And plus she's American, so she probably <laughs> name, may never get it. How, is that strange, by the way, that your children are going to have American accents, presumably, unless you ship out uh, back to the UK? It will, yeah, it will be strange. Um, by the way, and speaking of the UK, that makes me think of soccer, and uh, that makes me say congratulations and oi to the world oi. at large. That's right. I learned that because when we did our World Cup preview podcast, me, Black Tie, and the gold standard of excellent. around the league fame, he taught me that, that that's what you say is oi, or at least the Brazilians, I think. Say oh, really? That. Yeah, so happy World Cup, and keep in mind, rest of the world. Count yourselves as lucky while you're enjoying your festivities and your football and all that. Just keep in mind that if America decided that we wanted to send <laughs> over LeBron James and Maurice J. J. Jones Drew. J.J. Watt. He'd play in goal. Would he be good? Oh, yeah. No, Just no, no. All those Calvin Johnson. down. B.J. Raji. <laughs> Put J. him Roger. in there and fill the whole goal. No yeah, one will let no ball Steve ever get Weatherford. by him. Oh yeah, that's true. We'd have to put our kickers out there. We could uh, that would they would be the best guys. They Mike Vick. They, they wouldn't be the, they'd be the, no. they wouldn't be the best guys. No. They'd be kickers. Too. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, would we just put all our speedy guys yeah. out there? Would it take us a week or maybe two to get up to speed and then we'd go whip the rest of the world. Who's Consider that, Brazil. Who's and stopping Calvin Johnson. Well, exactly. That's Black true. Tide. Does that how does that strike your ear as a soccer fan more than a pro football fan? It's very presumptuous to think just because they're great athletes they'll be able to play soccer. Soccer Yes, I'm sure that would be beyond them. You know, it's a very delicate (laughs) skill-based sport. It's not easy. It's a game that encourages That's why I say they they get two weeks to get up to speed. Then they'll be ready to kick it around. It's a game that encourages a lot of skill and encourages a lot of creativity. As the Nike campaign says, risk everything, you know? The football well, game. you've just said it all. You yeah. really countered my argument yeah. by quoting I mean, a tagline of a commercial. Game, the quarterback <laughs> is all about making the right decision every time. It's all well, about making the right decisions. I say back In to soccer, you, just do it. <laughs> didn't you guys? Didn't you guys already do a soccer? I podcast? agree. Let's no more on. soccer, except to say this: on Thursday, uh, coming up for you. I went through, with the help of uh, the great Bill Smith, a researcher here at uh, NFL Media, I uh, we, we cobbled together, you know, the World Cup is about te- the best players in the world abandoning their club affiliations in favor of returning to their homelands. What if the NFL did that if everybody went back to their hometowns to play football? So we did that. We took the 16 best cities or, uh, you know, regions of the country and tried to figure out which team would be the best. And uh, as you would Mm. expect, Miami looks good. A couple of Texas teams look good. Southern California. Some surprises as well in there. So that'll be up at NFL.com for you come Thursday afternoon. And uh, if you're listening to it, then it's already up there and track it down and look at it. 
Now, real quick before we move on, one more World Cup note. Hmm. It's breaking news just confirmed. Usually, you're trying to move things I along. Know, now you're slowing it down. down. What is this? Things happen on the move. Like this, you know. All it's right, a just go. Davy podcast. Um, the St. Louis Rams defensive end Chris Long has confirmed to call into the podcast in 20 minutes. Wow. And, and he's, right. apparently he's a World Cup guy, too. So he's going to ask him. Uh, we're going to get in some World Cup with him. Well, All it right. can't be that much because in 20 minutes, the first game begins. Yeah. <laughs> so if he's choosing to, to talk to us instead of watch that game, and, and, All right, right, we so can we'll, ask him. We'll look forward to kibitzing about that. Now, real quick, June 11th. Let me just tell you who was born on, on, uh, on my birthday. Shia LaBeouf. All right, that comes out of the gate not so great. That's not a good one. We overcome that quickly, though, with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, Joe Montana, followed by arguably the greatest football coach of all time, Vince Lombardi. How about the most underrated comedic film performer in history, I dare say? I know that sounds like hyperbole, but Gene Wilder. Count Mm -hmm. up the great comedies he's been in. And uh, see if anyone else, Bill Murray or I don't know who else, would even comes close to stacking up to the gems that Gene Wilder's been a part of. Dr. Oz is in there. Um, Joshua Jackson of uh, Dawson's Creek fame. Jose Reyes, oh, okay. the baseball player. The list goes on and Started on. Started out much stronger. But yeah. let me just, well, you, guess what? You pace in there. That's not, that's not three. too good. No, no, no. Because I saved the, the, the best for last. The anchor of my squad. Tyrion himself, Peter Dinklage. Oh, oh I had no idea. Shut it down. Shut That's it. it. Down. Let's That's go it. Home. Beat that. That's I, it. Let's so go, go ahead and hashtag DDFP if you feel like your birth date uh, mates can trump mine. But I, I, get, I highly doubt. I want to. I want to hear that. Hank and uh, Greg Rosenthal's birthday mates. You have them. Well, I, I can quickly tell you a couple of them. This go is ahead. Not. So the second man ever to walk on the moon, Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> All right. That's, uh, that, I mean, like he's done more than any of Dave's people. I would, I would suggest. Perhaps. Um, uh, uh, this will be. This will resonate well, I think, with fans from the UK. Born on my birthday, Gary Barlow, lead singer for Take That. Um, oh, wow. Uh, take a, a that. Boy, take a that. boy band. You're getting desperate early. I am. And then uh, Nick, Nick Foles and Ray Maluga are my two, uh, two oh, NFL guys. Wow. Beyond that, I would say mine might be. I may, I may actually be on the list. You are the like, most notable guy. I might have. If I were you, I might not. I might change my birth date yeah, just to, to have something better. By the way, I forgot to mention Hugh Laurie. Uh, no, I like Hugh Laurie. What was his show? Uh, the he was a house. He was a doctor. Yeah. House. Anyway, a mean Rosenthal. Doctor. How say you? I'll I'll take your Vince Lombardi. Yeah, and I'll top you with our boss Roger Goodell, the commissioner. All right, you that, can't be better. We have that's to say the winner. It. That's number one. You can't beat Roger Goodell. <laughs> Plus another NFL legend, Chris Wesseling of the Around the League podcast. Oh, we yeah. share a birthday just yes, five indeed. years apart. Yeah. Copernicus. All right. Not sure. Colin what, Copernicus. What did he do exactly? He just got a new contract, didn't What he? did Copernicus do? He figured out the solar system, didn't he? Right. That's, Isn't that what he did? That's pretty key. Uh, he, years before Buzz Aldrin ever even knew yeah, about it. I don't yeah. know. I'm over it. Benicio Del Toro. What, 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 what's come out of it for me that he figured <laughs> yeah, out right. the solar system? My, my life isn't really impacted by that. Justine Bateman. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Mallory from that, Family Ties. Yeah, I'd stop I, there. That's your anchor that's right That's about there. all I got. Yes, Black Tie. All right, here's what I got. I got pioneers <laughs> of the game. Pioneers all around. George Washington. Wow. Mm, all right. right. I like that. Dr. Day, Dr. J. Julius Irvin. Pioneer okay. of the game. Yes. Steve Irvin, a.k.a. the Crocodile Hunter. Um, the late. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace. And also, Rob Kardashian, the Kardashian's wow. dad. He gave, I mean, 
look at what his children have Steve done. Steve Irvin, for. I'll match. I'll, I'll I'll top or Irwin or whatever it was. I'll top that. You want a pioneer, Jacques Cousteau? My list goes on and on. Forget it. You can't beat it. All right. Speaking of lists, let's talk about the top 100 real quick before we name the all AFC East team here. And Rosendahl, I'll go to you with this. Rob Gronkowski, number 41 on the top 100 list. More relevant is where he stacks up among the tight ends in the game. He's ahead of pretty much everybody. I assume that Jimmy Graham is the only name left there. There's only one more tight end left mm, to be revealed. Assume. It must be. I know. Well, last year, Jimmy Graham didn't make it. Maybe the voters went for Pitta again. They seem yeah. to love Pitta on this list. Well, they went. Uh, so it would appear that Julius Thomas is going to be left off the list entirely, which is ludicrous. But, you know, the question that uh, was kibitzed about on the NFL uh, on the Top 100 reaction show on Wednesday night last night is, do you want Rob Gronkowski I, you know, I said, of course, to me, he seems to be the gold standard for all things. You know, I, I, Jimmy Graham is the superior pass catcher. Um, but, you know, for considering the blocking responsibilities and everything else, I would rather have Vernon Davis at this point because at least he plays games. Rob Gronkowski, the analogy I made, much to Marshall Falk's chagrin, was I said, you know, if all NFL tight ends are fruit, then Rob Gronkowski is a plum. Delicious when ripe, but it's only ripe for about three weeks out of the year. So what good is it? Oh, but it's so delicious. It's so good. I mean, good. you don't think That's of the... him as a pass catcher, but 50, over 15 yards per catch last year. I mean, he is a big play guy. and I, I hear... know. Those three games he played were terrific. <laughs> but So is this the highest that we think he's ever going to be again? Based on the injuries that he's had up until now, can you see Rob Gronkowski being, what, 41 or, or higher than 41 if he's if he's playing five or six, I think games he'll be in the top ten next year, or he won't be in the top seventy-five. At this point, we're going to lose patience likely. with him. I think going in the top ten because when he was out there last year, that's one thing about him. He's had all these back surgeries and arm surgeries. When he was out there last year, he looked better oh, yeah. than he had ever looked. More I hear ex- you, but that accumulation—none of us are physicians, correct? None of no one in the around here is Black a doctor. Ty is a body physician. Yeah, Body well, language I'm a doctor of mustard because the uh, the National Mustard Institute in Wisconsin did uh, provide me with a Ph.D. in mustard a few years ago. <laughs> that's for that's that's real. You can laugh at that, but I mean well, that's something I consider idea that I'm pretty proud of. So, I'd like to see it. All right, I can show it to you if you don't. If you don't uh, listen, I'm a doctor of mustard. <laughs> anyway, that aside, no one's a doctor in here. But I got to think that a back, a repeated back troubles for a guy whose job requirements include rising up and hitting a guy who's 250 pounds with great force is not going to be good. Or jumping up and being hit by a guy who's right. 250 pounds. Uh, as a Patriots fan, I feel the pain of what you're saying. The last catch that Rob Gronkowski made in a playoff game, and they, they play multiple playoff games every year, was in the Super Bowl, back against the Giants when they lost. And his injury coming into that game and the fact he wasn't 100% was a big reason why they lost that Super Bowl. They could have another ring if he was 100%. Year after that, wasn't healthy for the playoffs. 2013, wasn't even active for the playoffs. He has been a no-show when it matters most. I hear what you're saying, but I guess I'm thinking like a Patriots homer. I'm an optimist and think he'll, he'll be back and okay. Um, all right, I could uh, go on and on about that top 100 and uh, pick it apart, and uh, we'll talk about it every week as we count it down to one. Right now, though, let's continue with our series of figuring out by division who the best players are as we approach the uh, the kickoff here in the fall. And uh, we're focusing on the AFC East. 
We'll start out at quarterback, a pretty easy one here. I think we all agree, Geno Smith. No, I mean Tom Brady, correct, uh, Greg Rosenthal? Yeah. Who's our backup, uh, handsome Hank? E.J. Manuel or no. Ryan Tannehill? Ryan Tannehill. We're going Tannehill? All I right. mean, in that division right now, you've got Geno Smith slash Mike Vick, but let's assume it's Geno Smith because that's what we keep being told. E.J. Manuel or Ryan Tannehill. I'm not anointing Ryan Tannehill as the as the next Tom Brady, but he's the next best quarterback in the division. Number no. one on our Making the Leap series a year ago. A year ago. Didn't work out that Oh, yes, well. the Around well, the League it Making it the Leap series. Just fine. It the, out just fine. The Making the Leap series is uh, ongoing at uh, Around the League. Check that out at NFL.com. But uh, you guys were talking on your podcast a couple weeks ago, something that I said a year ago, and I don't know if it was true then, but it does seem to be uh, now at least, is the fact that what's funny about the Patriots is that if you took Tom Brady, if you took the quarterbacks out of it, they do not have the the best roster. Is that do you agree with that uh, in the division? I'm talking about. I would say the Dolphins maybe are superior. I don't. I'm not even sure because the Bills are off. Feel like look to me like they're deep. If EJ mm-hmm. Manuel comes through, they can make a playoff run. The argument was that the Bills have a better roster if you just took away the quarterbacks and the Patriots. I, I think would... I said that about the Jet uh, about the uh, Dolphins last year. Handsome. Yeah, I mean. I think you could say that, but this is the one time where, as a fan, you look at it and you the, the importance of the quarterback and the coach is underscored no more than, than in this case. Right? And the Patriots, as, as a fan, their defense on paper is better than it's been in seven years. They're, they have talent. This season going into 2014. I, I think so. Yeah. Chandler Jones, you still have Vince Wilfork. Jamie Collins is interesting. Jared, Jared Mayo, you have Darrell Revis. You have mm-hmm. De, you know Devin Corey. It's not a bad roster outside of Brady. Right. Give it a break. Um, okay, so we'll so we'll go Brady, and then we'll go Tannehill at running back. C.J. Spiller, handsome. How say you? Who do you want? Uh, Lamar I mean, Miller. No, not going Lamar not Miller, going right? Lamar Miller or no, Sean. No, Sean no think... can't even get ahead of uh, Lamar Miller on the depth chart. That'll change before the season, I assume. If he if he shows up in shape, apparently that's 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 word coming out of Miami is that he he just hasn't turned up looking like he's ready to play football. C.J. Two. How about Chris Johnson? Option. Well, never I mean, a good sign when like a twenty-eight-year-old veteran is showing up out of right. shape. You know what I mean? Well, they, they, they should know by yeah, now. Yeah. But Nocho Marino's first what three, four years in the NFL were were disappointing, and he had one great year or relatively good year with Peyton Manning there. I'm not sure that Ryan Tannehill turns Nocho Marino into the Nocho Marino he was last year. I think he helps that offense. Maybe he fits there, but he he. The He's thing not- with Ryan Tannehill that I've said repeatedly, and I was talking with some Dolphins people the other day, they have to encourage him at some point, sort of like Geno Smith as well, just because neither one of them, they it's so beaten into their head, you got to be a pocket QB, you got to make plays from the pocket, that they seem loath to take advantage of their ability to make plays with their legs, especially mm-hmm. Ryan Tannehill. He's got wheels on him. He was a receiver at A&M, and yet he seems like... I don't want to be perceived as a running QB. Ergo, I'm not going to do it. And yet he's devastating. And in the second half of last season, he did start to take he off did a little, little bit. bit more. I'm sure the new offense will take take that into consideration as well. It's a little bit like Kaepernick last year. You felt like for the first eight games of the season, he'd been told, "Don't run. Let's turn you into a into a pocket passer." And it just didn't kind of work out at the start mm-hmm. of last year. This has to be one of the worst divisions for skill positions. Yeah. That the backup quarterback. You'd is be Tannehill. surprised. Go back through some of the other divisions really? we've done. There's there there's a bum position. On, uh, in every division for some reason. T- Tannehill is not a very good backup quarterback for this exercise. Right. Then at running back, you're choosing between, I guess I would go with Spiller, Chris mm-hmm. Johnson, who I feel like passes prime. You don't want to go Stephen Ridley? You wouldn't want to go. I like Ridley. Ridley is a great runner, but he doesn't He doesn't stay on the field for third downs. They, they don't let him stay out there to block 
or to catch passes. You have well, Shane Vereen for that. Who is the guy in this division who stays? I mean, Fred Jackson is probably the closest guy to be on the on the field on on three downs. We got to go. It's got to I be mean, the answer. has got to be C.J. Spiller based on if we're doing it based yeah. on what we saw yeah. last year That's going into this year. It's got to yeah. be Spiller. All right. Wide receivers. Do we want to go with uh, Sammy Watkins right out of the gate here? Do we want to go Mike Wallace? This is what I'm talking about. We're talking about All right, Wallace, this is Grim. Eric Decker. Stephen got- Hill. I think Eric Decker's <laughs> got to make Hill. the <laughs> No, I think Derek Decker's got to be on the team, though. Eric Decker's one of the top three receivers, right? Julian Edelman. I'd go Decker might be the safest pick of this group. Even though I'm not a huge fan, I'd take him over Mike Wallace right now. Yeah, but we need Mike Wallace on the field. We want Mike. So is let's take Decker, Robert Wallace. Woods. You could say you could say Woods. No. You could say Sammy Watkins. I think. Listen, I think Mike Wallace is good, but I think Sammy Watkins over him. Yeah, I think okay, you go I'm, Decker. I, so Watkins, Wallace. Watkins, and, and then, Wallace. Oh, how about the little guy, Julian Edelman, in the slot? If if Brady's the quarterback, you want someone yeah. that he's comfortable with. Black got- tie, break this tie for us. Is it Julian Edelman going in there then? Julian Edelman over Mike Wallace would be the, uh, the thing. It just seems strange. Sammy Watkins, Julian Edelman. I would go and, with Sammy Watkins, guys. Again, I like giving that. I kind of do too. A let's, lot of promise, a lot of talent. Hey, let's go with that guy. Let's put him in on, on the on the field with a lot of premier talent and see what he does. The Bills basically a lot of premier talent is not what we've talked about so far. Them Bills shoved all the chips to the middle of the table on mm-hmm. that one. He better work out. He better be this year or by the end of his second season. He better be considered one of the five best receivers. Or I don't know how that you could look at that and consider that a a good move by them as much as they gave away to get him. But all right, so Edelman, just to make it clear, Edelman, Decker, this sounds terrible. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins. That's not so bad. Mike Wallace needs to be on the field. Mike Wallace really. I'll bend on that one. Well, I was just thinking if Brady is the quarterback and you have Watkins and Edelman had 100 catches. Right, and I'm so just, I think we gotta go Edelman over Wallace. So if we're basing it off of last year, Mike Wallace is one of those guys who. We're thrived. not basing it off of last year, though. You're, you're basing it who is the best in the team next, right into now this year. Next All right, Mike Wallace. All right, we'll do that one. Tight end. It's got to be Gronk, unless you want to make a case for Charles Clay here, based on what I said earlier. At least Charles Clay plays. Right. No one's that's, making that's that case. No one's going to really make that's that insane. case. But if we, in real life, if Gronk <laughs> is only going to play six games, then I'd rather have a guy who's going to play 16. Okay, so we'll go an offensive line. As usual, the Patriots have the best offensive line. Yeah, True? that's the yeah. thing. When we talk about their roster is not that great. Well, they have Nate Solder, a very good left tackle. Sebastian Vollmer, if he's healthy, they're, they're just fine. They're fine it's though. a funny thing. I brought it up to Marshall Falk again, and, and I bring his name up because I like the name drop and also uh, to to bring up the point that he made that's something I've said for a long time now which is Brady and Peyton again they never their whole careers they get to stay clean and he made the point did Falk and he's a chum of Peyton that neither Brady nor Peyton likes contact and when guys start getting in their face they get rid of the ball more quickly if they see somebody coming at them they get rid of it rather than standing in the pocket and taking the hit and maybe that's why both guys have struggled in the postseasons over the last couple of years Um, it's a pretty keen point and it's a pretty big kryptonite to have except that he explains he said that used to be a deficiency now it's because of the league and because the quarterbacks are not supposed to take hits and they're supposed to stay on the field and that's the 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 everything is moving in that direction 
by the league rules and by the contracts and what the team wants and everything else that they're considered savvy for being that way. But in the postseason, obviously, it's a it's a pretty big liability to have in your quarterback that they won't stand in the pocket and take a shot. Well, what quarterbacks like to get hit? I would say that no Brady one wants was one to, of- but guys do it. Is the is the difference? I thought Brady was one of the best in NFL history early in his career at yes. that at, in terms of pocket presence. Uh, it's not like Ryan Tannehill is great in the pocket or these other He's guys. Awful in the most pocket. most quarterbacks are. It's Rumble will take a thing. shot. Roethlisberger, Rodgers, the same guys who I always bring up with this sort of thing. Cam Newton will stand there and uh, take a lick. You know, we are talking offensive line. Eli is definitely one who'll take a shot. EJ Manuel has a little bit of a chance this year because he's got the weapons and he's got a pretty promising offensive line. You might take Cordy Glenn in this division as the left tackle. You might take Eric Wood as the center. So that's no, we, we skip good. over that because okay. talking offensive line ain't uh, fun, and so we're going to go with uh, New England here. <laughs> so we'll move to the defense now in the same way. We really should. We were lazy, Black Tie, yeah, in hindsight, and just in not naming individual defensive linemen. It really is the height of laziness, but so far that's what we've done, and we're too far in now. We'll just name an entire defensive front. Are we going with... Buffalo, I think, is maybe the best, right? Or are you going to say the Patriots, Rosenthal? The Miami no. Dolphins. Wow, I was going to say the Jets. This is wow. a very this, this strong. That's our best argument. position. This is a right. good argument for. I mean, this there's this is one where you could go position by position if you're willing to to allow us to do that, Dave. Sure. And it would be fun, and I think you'd find you'd put together a pretty great. So be line. it. Let's do it. Muhammad Wilkerson and Vince Wilfork in the middle. All right. Right. right now, I'm not going with Vince Wilfork anymore. Coming off a torn Achilles, right. and even before he got hurt the last couple of years, maybe not quite as good. He's 34 years How old. How about Sheldon Richardson, Will- then? So or Kyle Williams. Kyle Williams or Randy Starks. Yeah, the Dolphins, by the way, if we're picking a team, there is no way that they're close to the Jets and the Bills. What? I think it's the Bills. Is that kidding? what you said initially? I it said prob- the Bills in 2014, 2013. I thought it was the Dolphins. I'd probably take the Bills in both mm. years, yeah. No, I wouldn't. Cameron Wake, the most underrated player mm, in the entire National Football League. By the he's way, the how, isn't it fun that we that we collectively skipped right over when we talked offensive lines that uh, the Dolphins of 2014 up front look a little different than they did in 2013? We're not it. allowed to speak about the oh, Dolphins that's right, offensive that's line. Right. Yeah, you're the guy who you share the birthday with would rather we not get into that <laughs> stuff. So, uh, all right, yes. But, yeah, so we go in. So Cameron Wake has to be on there. Yes. yes. Right? Muhammad Wilkerson has to be on there. But not, uh, but not Sheldon Richardson. He is probably on there. And then in Buffalo, you're looking at... You know, you've got Mario Williams on the other end. You've got Kyle Williams. Mario Williams Darius. is now uh, an OLB, though, in Buffalo. This is true. Or do you count him as a as a as an end? I guess that really is determined with our with our. We're making our team. Yeah, that's it's, fair. It, that's you fair. change, you know, it's depending on your team front. It gets it gets pretty. Yeah, you can make Williams an end, but then who are who are our linebackers? That's really, you know, what we have to play to our strengths here. This is our best position in the division, probably outside of uh, outside of Tom Brady at QB. So we want to put four guys out there. We'll go Darius. Yeah. We'll go Williams. No, Darius? No, Darius. I think Kyle Williams makes it. I think it. Kyle Williams would, would make the Kyle team. Williams. Chandler Jones, by the way, probably doesn't quite make it, but is a pretty good guy. To yeah. So, wait. Nice guy to have on the back. Mario Williams. We could use him as an OLB. Let's uh, let's put a footnote <laughs> next to his name. And then you want to do Kyle Williams? Kyle really? Williams Kyle is great. Kyle Williams is great. Yeah. If he was anywhere but Buffalo, he's one of those guys. If he was in Pittsburgh the last eight years, you would be – Singing his praises as the you know most underrated guy since Aaron Smith came along. You'd have his jersey. 
That's true. Well, just just the way I always did with the big snack, Casey Hampton. <laughs> Actually, but well, to be fair, I did used to sing songs about Casey Hampton that he was underappreciated, and now that he's right. gone, oh, he's one of the you know nose tackles are the the classic sort of uh, yeah you don't know what you have till they're gone kind of guys. You know, you realize, oh my God, well, we, I, I in fact, Haloti Nada talking about him who showed up on the top one hundred. You forget, you don't realize for all the histrionics of Ray Lewis and. Uh, Ed Reed and they're singing and dancing and all that jazz. Long ago, that defense pivoted on Haloti Nada. He's the cornerstone of that defense. Go back and watch the Super Bowl a couple years ago. The second he goes out, San Francisco suddenly begins gashing them the rest of the game and just about win the game when Nada goes out. He the the uh, a great nose tackle is uh, significant. But we're we not going to fit Vince Wilfork in here. Then I'm not putting him in. No. So Muhammad Wilkerson, got to go with the young guys. Okay. Uh, but uh, so Muhammad Wilkerson, you guys want Kyle Williams, Sheldon Cameron Richardson. Wake, Sheldon Richardson, and then maybe you put Mario. Williams we'll put Ma- Mario Mario Williams at a def- at a uh, linebacker. at a linebacker. Who are our other linebackers in this division? Well, there's a couple good guys in the middle. You got Kiko Alonso. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jared, Kiko Alonso. Jared Mayo. Probably go Mayo there. Mm-hmm. Out of those two, you've got. Uh, I like David Kiko Harris. Al- we could, oh yeah, David Harris. David too. Harris, a nice underrated Al- player as well. Alonzo, three good next not- to Mayo would be pretty good. Yeah, that's and we good. go Kyle Williams up front, and but then we have to make room for Mario Williams. Yeah, throw him in there. Toss I guess him in. Throw, he's on the throw field. Mario Williams on the defensive line. I take it back. That's where he's better. And you can take Kyle Williams out if you want. And uh, we we choose a coach now standardly too, and mm. so Bill Belichick is clearly going to get that one. You think? Well, I think that's safe. <laughs> but uh, you know, your son, Hank, you, you're such a big fan of uh, Rex Ryan's this work. Is, yeah, this is awkward. That you're, you know, you named your son after him, or at least his middle name. So my son's my new son's uh, first name is Alfred, and then middle name. I love the name Rex, but I couldn't, and I would. Would have wanted to call him Rex as his, as his first name, but I couldn't bring myself to do it while the New York Jets head coach is Rex Ryan. <laughs> I like that. It would be that. awkward for me. So for now, his, his middle name is Rex. I, I mean, sa- not for now, forever. As I said to you when you first said the name Alfie is the name of the kid, I said that is easily the most British thing you've ever done in your life, Handsome Hank. You like all things America over England, but Alfie is your child's name. That is... Uh, Highly Alfie English. is a very versatile name. So you, I got, love it. You've got Alfred. I love it. You could be Alfred. You can be Alfie. You can be Al. You can be Freddie. Wow, you can be good. Alf. There's a lot of but things. But in the you U.S., if he's that. Alfred, it seems it, it, that the first thing it's I think of is the butler. Yeah. yeah. So you can't. So do that. he's not really. He's got to be Alfie. He's yeah. Alfie, probably. You got to think long. And don't go Alf either, because that Alf also is an like, alien. Isn't yes, you don't want to. I don't know much about it, but I think I. I mean, I'm aware enough of that. I think he was trying to overcompensate for the lack of accent and the inherent guilt he feels for raising right. his kids in California that he had to go with the most British name possible. Um, all right, let's uh, wrap it up just because uh, Chris Long's going to call in here any second now. So our secondary, no more Jairus Bird back there for the Bills. Mm-hmm. The safety, we the safety know spot re- is, hard, is a hard one in this division. I think Devin McCourty's a lock right. just because the division's not great. It's I can't think of weak. another great pick. Um, we go obviously Revis at one corner. Yep, Brent Grimes is the other corner. Brent Grimes. I don't want to hear anyone say anything other than that. Correct. That's right. You're right. Who did the Jets have that they let Cromartie walk away? Kyle Wilson is well, can't they, be they reason spent enough. Two, they they spent um, first round draft picks on D. on uh, D Milner and then Kyle Wilson. 
what was that two years earlier? Kyle Wilson. Well, was Milner four didn't years work out. By now, right? Yeah, Milner, Milner is not making this team, and they no. they have a uh, poo poo platter at the other spot. Dimitri Patterson, formerly of the Dolphins, yeah, it would the be Stephon Gilmore. Is that our guy? Oh, how did we forget? Yeah, that's and it. And Aaron Williams, I guess we could put at the other safety. I well, don't know. Well, Stephon Gilmore is that. Okay, Stephon Gilmore is that corner. There's really no second safety to pick, so let's just put Calvin him at Pryor. safety. All right. Yeah, Calvin Pryor, indeed. All right, we'll go Let's with Calvin Pryor. Shot. Yeah, we're listen. We're, we're rolling the we're, dice we're with this rookies. team. Belichick will figure it out for these yeah. guys. <laughs> All right, listen, handsome Hank, a pleasure to see you. Welcome back. Now. Thank you, Dave. Congratulations to you and to Alfie and the rest of the gang there. And I'm sorry about your terrible birth date, Greg Rosendahl. Pleasure to see you. It's been too long. Continued uh, good work to you. And I don't know if you heard it when Mark Sessler joined us from around the league. And we did the AFC North team oh, a you. couple of shows ago. I heard it. He said, I don't know why, we were just having a nice conversation, and I suggested that it would be fun to settle all our differences <laughs> by having a Thunderdome here in Studio 66. We all gather as the crowd on the other side of the glass, and then we put two combatants in here. Mark Sessler decided out loud that he could take Greg Rosenthal in a fight. But why? They'd well, be you fighting set together, up. wouldn't they? They'd fight against one another. Oh, ri- Why? I don't know why. Well, first I of thought, all, I thought the DDFP was fighting the ATL. We may, I may come to that at some point, but right. I just, but, I, but these two, I, I said it would be an interesting feather, featherweight bout, featherweight bout. And, <laughs> Here's uh, the thing: if it was, if it was um, classical boxing, uh-huh. I think that it would be. This would go all the all twelve rounds, and it would be a judge's decision. But if you no took winners. the gloves off. If you mm-hmm. took the gloves off and you said anything goes, Mark Sessler would win. Because I think, <laughs> oh, come I, on. No, no, no. And this is a good thing. I think he bites. I think he would bite. I think he would pull your hair. I think he would poke your eyes. Greg Rosenthal collapses onto Mark right. Sessler after the fight. Says, ain't going to be no rematch. Like Creed says to Balboa after, after their first brawl. Look, that's the kind of guy I want on my team. He looks across mm-hmm. and he sees that uh, his boss is only five foot five, And he's not going to, he's not going to think that. He's gonna lose a fight like that. I want guys. If I have to, step re- up. I'll re- if I have to repeat myself what I what I said uh, a number of months ago, <laughs> you, Hanzus, Wessling, and Sessler versus handsome Rank, me, and Elliot Harrison. I, it's what, not even it a would, fight. They would not. They, would, they wouldn't even. Have, it would be four and zero to yeah, the DDS. It's a laughable be, outcome. I can't see. I can't see one matchup because I'd be the worst. I'd be the worst out of that quartet, and which means I would get you or Sessler. Right. I mean, I'd make quick work of not either. About yeah. the, not about the size of the dog. I would take both of you. In fact, I would just take your heads and bonk <laughs> them together. That's what I would do. Style. <laughs> I've really right. got no response for that. Right. Now listen. I want you both. It was a pleasure to see you both, but it's time for you to go. Okay. My friend Chris Long is about to call in. All right. We're I bid not you good for day. that. Uh, and oi is what I say to you as well. Thank you, sir. All right, as promised, good times. I don't know what this connection's about. I don't know what's going on on that end of the line. We'll figure it out, though, with him right now. Here he is, superstar of the St. Louis Rams, and apparently... A soccer fan. It's Chris Long. What's the poop, fella? Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, oh, it's going fine for me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, and happy World Cup. I understand you're a fan of the sport, huh? Thank you. I am. Yeah, I am. I'm a you know casual fan. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a fanatic. I'm a fanatic of the game FIFA uh, on Xbox. But I do love watching soccer or football, whatever you want to call it as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, catching a lot of the action over the next couple weeks. 
if it can't be the U.S. of A., which, by the way, as I said earlier, you know, the fans of, uh, of football around the world should, should thank their lucky stars that America didn't, uh, that soccer isn't the number one sport, because you and all the other fellows from the NFL and NBA and uh, Mike Trout of baseball and everyone else, we would dominate that sport, right? Uh, well, you never know. I mean, uh, it's interesting with our population, you think uh, we'd be a little better, but we're pretty darn good, and we're, we're moving up in the ranks, it seems like, uh, to qualify is a big deal. Uh, you know, there's a lot of countries that have been playing and exerting a lot more effort uh, nationally than we have for a long time, and uh, they've got to sit at home and watch. So I think if we just keep working at it and developing the sport, I think there's plenty to go around. There can be good football, good soccer, uh, all your, your big four as well, and, uh, you know, uh, we can get there. Well, you talk about moving up in the, in the ranks, so if I may make a strained analogy, I feel like your St. Louis Rams are sort of in that position in the rugged NFC North. A lot of noise about you guys a couple of years ago. Everybody was saying, look out for this team, and it didn't exactly work out, but now that noise is happening all over again, and with good reason here. The defense, led by you and the other three guys on the front line. By the way, let me tell you this. I gave you guys, you know, the fearsome foursome from the Rams. You guys are all first-round picks. How about going forward, you're the first-round foursome? Uh, well, you know what? Uh, out of respect for the fearsome foursome, uh, I always try to stay away from that stuff. And uh, To be first-round foursome, yeah, well, that's kind of indisputable. Uh, we are all first-rounders, but thing about um, our D-line is we're very deep. So it's not just about the starters. Uh, we have other players that could start a lot of places in the league and who provide really quality depth, and we and we rotate a lot. And that's part of kind of the trend of D-line playing the NFL right now is that it's as much about rotation as it is about top-end talent. And, uh, we're a very deep group, and uh, it's, it's a great close-knit group as well, and I uh, just really love being a part of that line. Very blessed to be a part of it. Well, speaking of the line, listen, he was the uh, the lightning rod of the draft, of course. How's Michael Sam fitting in? How's he looking so far? Uh, he's been great. Uh, you know what? He's got a lot to learn football-wise. Uh, a lot of kids uh, that come out of college are very undeveloped. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's, he's on that end of the spectrum, but uh, he's been working really hard. And uh, one thing you, you never have to worry about with him is his effort. And that's something you can't coach. Uh, all the other stuff, you know, football skills, football IQ, we can take care of that. Uh, but as far as his effort, it's great. And uh, he's been a model teammate and really just great to be around. Uh, yeah, as I expected. I, I, I thought that this would be where we are in society, that this would be a non-story going forward. And it is interesting that you guys are uh, you know now into, uh, into getting on the field together, and you really have not heard much noise about it. And I guess that's, uh, that's the, the best result of all there going forward. So Yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, the NFL locker room is as progressive a place as you'll find in America. I really believe that there's, it's a big melting pot of ethnicities, walks of life. Uh, you know, and now, and, and before, I mean, Michael Sands not the first gay player to ever play uh, in the NFL, first openly gay player mm-hmm. to be actively playing in the NFL. Uh, you know, that having been said, uh, we've moved on from, from that whole uh, media kind of uh, frenzy, and now it's just about playing football. And uh, Michael Sands, all we care about is, is he a good football player, is he a good teammate, and uh, he sure is, and he's going to keep working, and, and uh, he's been a good part of this team. 
Um, well, good stuff on that one. And uh, when we talk about the defense, how's it going with Greg Williams now? Obviously, everybody remembers a couple of years ago and uh, the the whole thing that he went through. How's uh, how's he come through on the other side? And how's he coaching you guys up? Oh, he's doing a great job. I mean, uh, his resume kind of speaks for itself. Uh, he's, he's been a part of a lot of winning football. He's an aggressive uh, coach. He, uh, he he's, an, he's an aggressive play caller, and we like that. It fits our uh, our team kind of mindset. And uh, to win in the NFC West, you need that aggressive mindset, especially against the physical type of teams we play against. Uh, I do believe it's a t- well. It's kind of I don't believe. I know it's the toughest division in football. And uh, to win that division and to compete for that division, you have to have aggressive coaches as well. And he fits mold perfectly. Yeah, I feel like, you know, the thing I've been saying, obviously your defense is uh, really coming together and was was pretty good already, but now it looks mighty. The The Cardinals obviously have a very good defense. The Seahawks, we know what they are. I feel like a, maybe there's a bit of a regression coming for the Niners' defense only because Navarro Bowman, a key piece with the, with the knee, and uh, Alden Smith, we don't know what's going on there. But I think that offense in San Francisco is going to be scary. Do you think maybe collectively the division might now swing into a more offensive direction? It seems like you guys are gathering some pieces to be more explosive as well. Well, listen, until uh, until I see otherwise or it's proven otherwise, uh, defense kind of rules this division. And there are some really talented offensive players in this division. Obviously, Colin just got his big contract. Very well-deserved. He's a heck of a player. And they have a lot of weapons over there in San Francisco. Uh, and, you know, Seattle, uh, as Russell continues to grow and that, that offense grows together, uh, they're really dangerous to deal with. But I really do believe that uh, between the four teams, it's all about um, defense. And until it's proven otherwise, you'll see a lot of slugfests and a lot of uh, close ball games. Let's say, though, that you're at the goal line, the season on the line, and uh, you're out in space. Chris Long is out in space, and uh, you're near the goal line. You're the only one who can stop the quarterback who's running the ball right now at you. Is it tougher to catch Russell Wilson in that situation or Colin Kaepernick? Well, Russell's going to make you miss more, uh, whereas Colin, you have to be cognizant of him maybe uh, heading straight to the pylon. Uh, you know, he's got that sideline to sideline speed, and when he gets out there in the open field, uh, they're both very fast, but uh, Colin is a real blazer. He can really get out in space and uh, and kind of eliminate angles that you think you have. Uh, he's that fast. Whereas Russell, he's very elusive and uh, and a good athlete, um, kind of in space as well in his own way. So uh, they're both not the first quarterbacks you, you want to deal with in a situation like that. Uh, they'd be tough to get down. If uh, well, now your brother Kyle obviously is a guard for the Chicago Bears. Who does your uh, your famous father like better? The Bears or the Rams? No, you or Kyle? It's a tie, right? That's what I'll I don't say. know, but no, no, that's what he would he he would want you to think that. But you know, deep down, Chris Long, are you well, his favorite? Good, well, he's done a good job because, as far as I know, uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's tied with me for. Uh, for first place, it's a three-way tie between me, Kyle, and my youngest brother, Howard. Yeah, but well, that's interesting. Yeah, but you play defense, so yeah, right, so there's right, a Howie right. Junior. But I would think that since he shares a name, he might be the favorite. But you play yeah, defense, it's probably so. it's probably the dark horse there. My youngest brother who doesn't play football, he actually works uh, in the front office for the Raiders. 
Uh, oh, he's a raider. Yeah, forget operations. it. Yeah, so he's a raider, and uh, he has the namesake. He's probably the favorite. Maybe Kyle and I need to make up some ground. Um, and uh, by the way, everybody should follow Chris Long on social media. He, you're uh, very funny. I loved the thing you did with when Tavon Austin said, nothing in uh, this world is for Thank free, you. and uh, you, you ended up giving away a couple tickets there. St. Louis, a, a, a fun place to uh, for a pro football player to be. Do you like playing in the Dome? Do you wish they'd whip, rip that thing off and uh, and let you be outside? Uh, um, listen, I, the Dome gives us a great advantage uh, You know, if we play fast. Uh, it's pass rushers coming downhill and, and getting that, that kind of perfect pass rushing uh, condition that we're able to get in that dome. So uh, when it's packed and it's loud, it's as good a place to play as any. And uh, we have great fans here. It's a great sports town. Uh, and, you know, it does have that uh, small-town, big-city feel, which I really like. Uh, mm-hmm. I think St. Louis is a blue-collar place. Uh, and if you're a blue-collar guy, they're going to like you. And uh, for the most part, I've... Everybody I encounter here has always been uh, awesome to me. So uh, I've loved playing here, and uh, and I've really enjoyed it. And it's been a great place for me and my wife, and uh, we love it here. Last question for you, Chris, is uh, back where we started with the World Cup. If every player in the NFL went back to their hometown or where they went to high school and played played pro football in that city where you went to high school, which city would be the best? Oh, in uh, in American football? Yeah, in in uh, yeah, in American football. Well, statistically, I mean, they say it's the big southern cities, right? Uh, yes, I saw something about that. Uh, I see that Miami and Houston and Dallas would be real hotbeds. I saw an interesting study. I, I would say probably Miami, but you can't forget about uh, the Newport News area. In uh, in Virginia, we I was just gonna say, players. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of the the sleeper pick. But I mean, it's all about hey, if you got more athletes coming out um, in some of these bigger cities, that's kind of how it shakes out. It's funny. That's why I brought it up to you because you uh, you you did uh, your schooling in uh, in Virginia. There, that's the dark yeah, horse here. You know, yeah, I'm from a I'm from a small town. Charlottesville, Virginia, is a is the best place on earth. But we might not. Uh, win the championship under those guidelines. It's just not a big enough place. But uh, but Newport News has got a ton of great athletes that have come out of there. So Virginia is not to be slept on. All right. Well, listen, Chris Long, you're delightful. And uh, again, uh, make sure you follow him on uh, on social media. Everybody out there, if you if you enjoy delightful uh, football players, and uh, stay healthy and uh, and uh, hopefully a big 2014 awaits you, man. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You listen to Dave Joining us in Studio 66 right now, you know him from NFL Network, NFL.com, always making nice pages, always kibitzing about this, that, and the other uh, with regards to pro football. This week, uh, with the it being 70s week at uh, NFL Network, Elliot Harrison, seated directly across from me. Welcome, first of all. How are we? I, I appreciate it. You know, you're a little bit lower than normal. And I just want no, to say I with have, that tie, I have great excitement for you. I have great news for you. That, I wanted you to be here because in a matter of minutes, walking through that door to join us in Studio 66, the man who you've described to me on several occasions as your favorite Dallas Cowboy of all time, not Roger Staubach, not Tony Dorsett, not anyone else other than 
than Drew Pearson, number 88. He's going to be joining us. Congratulations. That Honestly, it, that's, <laughs> it's amazing. It, I know. It's, it, it's amazing because, look, we all, we all get into this business, and they, everyone wants you to be unbiased. I find that ridiculous. Which I say ridiculous. it all the time. Why would we? Why would we be doing this for a living if we weren't fans of teams? What kind of you know? weirdo would be? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. I I love football. I I have watched it my whole life. Oh, what's your favorite? Oh, I don't have a favorite team. I don't really care who wins. What? 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 what what's more unreasonable? The idea that that we're supposed to this delusion that ever, anybody who watches um, anybody on TV talk about a sport doesn't have a rooting interest why would that be what, i mean what, what really why should you not be allowed to say i get why is because then you get hammered especially when that whole tradition started of you shouldn't really identify who you're rooting for if you're doing national stuff um because then you're going to draw the ire of the team that you're not rooting for and believe me i grew up in a house in pittsburgh pa where my old man for the even though the Steelers would beat the Bengals almost every time they played them, was insistent that there was an NBC conspiracy being perpetrated by former Cincinnati Bengal Bob Trumpy calling Steeler games. Why would they put him on the games? Why would they do that? It's a, he obviously doesn't like the Steelers and wants them to... In hindsight, he probably was right, as a matter of fact, but I really don't have a beef with anyone having a rooting interest. Anyhow... Elliot Harrison, Drew Pearson's going to come in here, and that's going to be uh, that's um, going to be a positively wonderful time. It's amazing, you know. There's there's your fandom when you're in your teen years or your early twenties, and your fandom when you are eight or nine years old, and it's completely a different. As I fix my mic, a different feel. And Drew Pearson was my guy when I was a little kid, and that's just different. You know, when you're 20 years old, you look at sports a little different. You might be a little bit more snarky. When you're eight years old, you worship these guys, and so that was my guy. And it's a it's a shame he had to retire early. He played 11 years, but he had gotten a car accident, and uh, he couldn't play anymore. And uh, it, it was a huge bummer around the city of Dallas. And he is still to this day one of the top five most popular Dallas Cowboys to ever play because he was slight. This dude was skinny. And he would go over the middle and get absolutely killed. You watch Super Bowl thirteen. You watch some of the films footage when the Cowboys are trying to mount their comeback, and the Steelers' defensive backs are just throwing him on the ground. And Two DBs simultaneously meeting with Drew Pearson up in the air, hitting him from both sides, and he yeah. would hold on to the ball. Yeah. The thing I remember, I mean, Super Bowl thirteen has so many great plays. And by the way, Elliot, this week it's on NFL.com and also uh, was playing or is currently playing on the network. You identified your top plays of the entire decade. Right. There were so many great ones. Um, but you just think about those Super Bowls. And Super Bowl thirteen had, in the first half in, in particular, so many spectacular plays, trading touchdowns. One I remember, Tony Hill running down the sideline for a touchdown. And Drew Pearson, very cagey fella, had had Mel Blunt with his back to Tony Hill running at him. So Drew Pearson, with the play coming towards him about 30, 40 yards downfield, is going through his jukes at Mel Blunt, who is completely locked in on, uh, on Drew Pearson, and he doesn't even see Drew Tony Hill wow. running up his backside as he goes into the end zone. That was one Bradshaw to Stall uh, no, to Stallworth because Stallworth. I mean, because Bradshaw throws the ball and it's a knuckler comes. I think he gets hit or it just slips out of his hands. 
hands, and it flutters. It, it goes over the top of the stadium and comes back down. It was essentially like a punt, and Stallworth adjusts to it somehow. It's really one of the more remarkable yep. catches you'll see in a big game. So many big, and then also, and then that Stallworth also catches a seventy-nine yard touchdown pass, a little swing pass that he takes to the house. So many great ones. Those 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 Super Bowls. No wonder we swoon over these teams. I know it seems uh, a little bit like idol worship to people from the outside looking in, but we weren't just rooting for great teams. We were rooting for, arguably, I mean, I would make a case and have made the case many times that the Cowboys, the Steelers of the 70s are the greatest dynasty because of who they were defeating when they were doing, when they were winning four Super Bowls in six years, chief among them, with all due respect to the Raiders and the Vikings and the Dolphins, were those Dallas Cowboys. If the Cowboys of the 70s win one of those two Super Bowls against Pittsburgh, they probably are considered the greatest team of all time. And I don't think that there's any exaggeration or anything that you need to apologize for because look how geeked up people get for 49ers Seahawks. Hey, 49ers Seahawks was just the NFC Championship game, okay? And the 49ers, when they played the Ravens, they didn't win the Super Bowl. Okay, but with Steelers and Cowboys, that was for the not only the battle for the the Super Bowl, it was a battle for an era, a, a complete era of pro football. And there was 20, 20 Hall of Famers in Super Bowl 13, 14 on the uh, field and six that were either owners, GMs, or coaches. And so many more who really deserve it, including Drew Pearson. Right. But I think there's a certain amount of saturation that the voters sure. perceive with a team and with an era. And they say, well, we can't just put every single guy right. from the team in there. And I think that hurts the cases of guys like, you know, when it, as, it, as it applies to the Steelers. Yeah, L.C. Greenwood, guys like that who maybe deserve more consideration than what it seems that they get. Um, There's a big pause here. I think something really good is coming, but I don't know what it is. I think it's going to be you arguing with me with putting Jackie Smith's drop in the top five plays. You didn't feel like that was a top fiver. Just admit it. We can talk about that. Yes, that's fine. The Super Bowl thirteen, the drop in the end zone by a longtime tight end of the St. Louis Cardinals, Jackie Smith, drops the ball. As a reminder, that only would have tied the game. People, uh, people act like that would have uh, t- changed the game. You, I saw on uh, on NFL AM, announce shamelessly, by the way, to the fellas out there, to Eric Davis and the rest of them, that the, the Cowboys would have gone on to win that game. Where do you come up with that, Hokum? That's just know. that's just wild speculation out of you. I don't know where the other million people that like that segment on Facebook think either. But that was a that was a humble brag, just because that wasn't there was nothing humble about attacking it. Me. There was zero. There was zero <laughs> okay. about that. that was I, I think humble. You, I think you make a good point. Here here's my point on that. Dallas lost that game thirty five to thirty one. There were so many plays in that second half that had any one of them gone Dallas's way, Roy Jarella did not mean to squib kick and Randy White fumble that ball. That was it was not an intentional like oh he slipped. If it was Bill Cower, that would have been an intentional squib kick. You agree with that? That's not, that wasn't Chaz Knowles' no, no, w- no. way of doing things. Okay, the incidental contact pi on Benny Barnes. Uh, Franco Harris running for a touchdown when Charlie Waters, uh, the ump, ah, runs into him. That's another one that's overstated. Yeah. So okay. fine. So the but, referee ran into him. So what? That would Okay. Just to defend myself, to even He would have maybe gotten a hand on Franco. It's not like he would have definitely tackled him. Sure. E- to even things out, I've told you before, and I will say it again, the most underrated play in NFL history to me, number one, is Bradshaw to Swan. But not the one that you always see, not the two that you always see on the film's footage. The deep ball, 64 yards, I believe it was. Bradshaw gets, I believe, concussed yeah, on the play oh, he, by Larry Cole. 
He didn't it, just, yeah, he was knocked cold yeah, ball, and out of the game. Ball on the money. That ball probably went, what, 55 yards on the fly? Yeah. From where he was dropped back to where it landed in Swan's hands, at least 55 on the fly. Oh, at least, I would say. Yeah, I would say also that, uh, yeah, he, he, he strokes that ball, gets concussed immediately after it does Bradshaw, and Mike Kruzek had to come in, and it almost affected the outcome of the game because the Steelers had the lead again, and they ran the ball three straight times with Rocky Blyer because they didn't want to risk, um, uh, you know, having Mike Kruzek, the backup, try and pass for a first down with the Super Bowl on the line. So they had to give the ball back to Staubach and company. Oh, you and me, EH, we could sit here all day, but we agree at least that the gold jacket is deserved for Drew Brees. See, we can be nice Andrew about Pearson. each other's stuff. What I say, Drew Brees, but I think Drew Brees is a Hall of Famer I think, too. I if think Drew Brees right is now, also. We're talking about another if Dallas he retires Pro right football now, player. If, I think he gets into the Hall of Fame right now. So if Drew Brees said, "You know what? I can't play anymore. I'm done," you you think right now? All right, look, he's coming in now, Elliot. All right, be cool. Stop. I want you to play cool though. Don't be don't be too much, you know, because that gets uh, don't if, if you're all over him, he's gonna pull back a little bit. You know, take it easy, would you? You know, pretend you're a girl looking at you. You know how girls look at you. Oh, I'm not he's sure I'm dreamy. aware. He's such a dream. You don't want them coming on too strong. No. I, I think that might have been half true until Michael Fabiano tweeted out a photo of me watching Star Trek in my car. Nerds. Two nerds. All right, here he comes. Into Studio 66. Oh, this is exciting for me and anyone who loves looking back at the greatest games, the greatest teams, the greatest eras in NFL history. One of the guys who is legitimately one of the NFL greats. I cannot figure out how he does not have a gold jacket on him. (laughs) And I say yet because it it eventually is going to happen. It is Dallas Cowboys legend, everybody. Drew Pearson, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for uh, jumping into Studio 66 here. And as you can see, there's someone seated next to you, directly across from me. And I listen, I'm a dream maker. You see, mm-hmm. Drew, that's what I like to do. Okay. I, as you know, I well, I well, I told told you just as you walked in here. I'm from Pittsburgh, PA. So you know, as a child, all my dreams came true. Yeah. You know, I saw I saw championships. Yeah. Now a guy who his dream was to meet Drew Pearson because he, he loved him as a child. I brought him in here. Here he is. It's Elliot Harrison. Say hello to your legend, Drew Pearson. <laughs> See, we, we didn't want to say anything. You know, we don't want to spoil the fun, but i, I got to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was nine years old, my mom took me to, uh, to LBJ and uh, the tollway to the Galleria. Wow. It just opened up, and we went to this little poster store, and the, I picked out a poster of Drew Pearson scoring a touchdown in the 1982 NFC Championship game at RFK. Granted, you lost the game, but uh, that poster was the first... That was my first shot across the bow that this is something I'd want to do with my life. It was the first thing that went on my wall as a kid, and... uh, you know, it's it's crazy to sit here with you because yeah. uh, you were my favorite guy. And when you had to retire, um, oh, gosh, I was crushed. Yeah. I was crushed. You know, I'm, I didn't want to see seasons of Mike Renfro. I mean, I love Mike Renfro. <laughs> I love Mike Renfro, <laughs> and I, I, I love Tony Hill. And Doug oh, Cop- it all comes back to I Pittsburgh because <laughs> Mike Renfro was in the corner of that end zone in Three River Stadium in I the know. 79 uh, title game there, and they said he was out of bounds. And no he was replays. in bounds. No replay. Yeah. Listen, we we can only uh, debate it at this point. We can only speculate about whether he was in. You, Sheck, uh, you know, uh, I'm from Farmers Branch, a suburb of Dallas. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be a little bit biased. But you mentioned that you thought Drew should have a gold jacket. So you've seen Stallworth and Swan get in. How do you think about Drew's career 
looking at their careers. I think about on par. I mean, the thing that, uh, and by the way, we should let Drew talk a little bit. It's like you and I are talking around. <laughs> nice to see you, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> but I'll say this about uh, your career, Drew, that what stands out to me was, you know, you, if you go back in 2014 and look at the numbers, they're underwhelming, not yours, but any receivers from the era right, because right. we're now used to these inflated uh, statistics because of the past first game and all that. But when I, you know, uh, watching you, you were not just consistently good, you were clutch as all get out. And to me, when people say, you know, as a, when they try to, to uh, beat up Lynn Swan, who I support as a Hall of Famer, I say, listen, he made big plays in big games, and that's always what I think about you, whether it's the, the playoff game against the Vikings in the, in the Met Mm-hmm. Or the the touchdown pass against Atlanta against that very good two team in nineteen eighty two, two of them second Four half minutes. from Danny White yeah. right yeah yes um, so yeah so I mean I, to, to me it's uh, you're preaching to the choir to say that uh, Drew belongs in the Hall of Fame but are you surprised that, is it something that you anticipate or is it something that or is it something that you pine for at this point you know when I was playing uh, Harvey Martin was my best friend and roommate and we we talked about that all the time hmm. especially uh on road games where we stayed together in the, uh in the hotel and we what we talked about is we wanted our performance that Sunday to be another block into the stepping stones to one day be in that Hall of Fame we wanted to have that type of career and I think I did I think Harvey had that type of career as well we were both voted as the uh on the 1970s all-decade team, and we're one of the few that on that team are not in the Hall of Fame. So when that honor was bestowed upon us, we both looked at each other and said, hey, this is almost going to guarantee us Mm -hmm. that Hall of Fame opportunity one day. Uh, But unfortunately, it hasn't happened. The two receivers on that team, Drew Pearson and Lynn Swan, well, Swan is in and Drew is not. I don't understand that. Uh, I played a little longer than Lynn, but – and uh, his stats are very comparable. Uh, but it, with both of us, it wasn't the quantity of catches. It was the quality of catches. I ca- that's exactly right. You know, that's what you're saying. And it's not just the touchdowns and the big games and things like that. It's third and 10, third and 20, where you come over the middle and you make that catch for 12 yards or 22 yards. I remember against the Giants, it was third and 22. We're playing up in the Meadowlands. Roger calls me on an in route. I catch it over the middle for 23 yards. You know, to me, that was a, a greater or a better feeling than even catching the Hail Mary. Hmm. You know, because you still the game is still going on, and you can go back out there and do it, stick that ball in the defender's face, and ask him what flavor it was, and all that hmm. kind of stuff. Because we <laughs> did that kind of jaw talking back in the day. These guys now are a little. Uh, 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 intimidated by each other and tentative about saying things because they might, that person you're ridiculing might be a teammate next year. So when you see Richard Sherman last year against Michael Crabtree, all that at the mm. end of the NFC title game, did that say, were you were you surprised by the fallout from that? Because, where it was, so are you're, what you're saying is, yeah, we were doing that the whole time when I was playing. Not surprised at all. And especially at that point in the game where they stuck the mic in his face, you know, he just made a great <laughs> game-saving play and now they're asking him you know what you know what happened or how you feel about that he expressed his true feelings and you know but we talked a lot of noise out there on the field and that was just part of the game back then and uh, now it's like I said it's a little different but Sherman is a throwback you know he's that type of player that doesn't care you know he's going to be physical with the receivers and he's going to push it push the envelope when you know if those 
uh, referees are, aren't calling it, letting them get away with certain things, he'll continue to do it and even do more. Well, that's the way it was back in the day. When you're going up against a Mel Blunt or Ron Johnson on the other side or the other guy. Uh, Dwayne Woodruff? No, not Woodruff. J.T. Uh, Thomas. Thomas. Wow. He doesn't get enough credit for mm-hmm. what he did with that uh, in his role with that steel, great steel curtain defense. But when you're going against those guys, man, you know, Mel's going to do all he can to try to get away with as much as he could. And uh, most of the time he got away with a lot of stuff. I remember playing in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl thirteen. The next year, I think that's when they changed the rule. They call it the Mel Blunt rule, where now you can't just uh, uh, maul a guy at the line of scrimmage. You know, you got to let him come off and then, you know, one hit and then go. That's the Mel Blunt rule because it was almost virtually impossible to get off the line of scrimmage into a pass route on third down situations. If I caught a pass against the Steelers, it was either first or second down. Hmm. Because on third down, Tony Hill and I, the wide receiver, we're we're decoys. We're going to run two guys out of there so Preston Pearson, Billy Joe Dupree uh, can catch passes underneath. So that was our role in third down. So all the passes I've caught in my career against the Steelers have come off on first or second down. It's interesting when you guys were talking about Lynn Swan and numbers being comparable, your numbers are actually better than Lynn Swan's. They're better than Bob Hayes. You're, you're you know, yeah. he, he was briefly your teammate yeah. uh, who's in the Hall of Fame. You had two 1,000-yard seasons in the 1970s when that was yeah. a real accomplishment for a wide receiver. People forget there were only 14 games until 1978. That's right. right. You know, 74, I had uh, over 1,000 yards right. for the first time and made all pro. Yeah, and you were an undrafted free agent. Right. You know, you didn't have any free rides. You had to earn it out there in the spring with Roger Staubach throwing together. It's a, it's a great story, but I, I, I wanted to ask you, if you take yourself out of the conversation, what Dallas Cowboy to you that's not in the Hall of Fame deserves to be there the most? I, mm. I, I would think Chuck Howley would be one that would come to mind, but but who do you think? Yeah, there's a, there's so many. Chuck Hawley is definitely one. You look at a lot of the guys' uh, stats and compare them to people in the Hall of Fame. Not saying those guys in aren't Hall of Famers, but all I'm saying is these guys deserve that recognition as well. You look at a Cliff Harris, you know, he played five Super Bowls in ten years and made all pro, all decade team of the 70s. Yeah, but he was mean to Roy Jarrell in Super Bowl <laughs> 10, and I won't stand for that. Well, you know, uh, Lambert stood up for Jarrell, right. and, yeah, you know, so did. Cliff had to endure that, and he did. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you look at Cliff Harry, you look at Harvey Martin, man. You know, I mean, this guy had 20 sacks in one season. He actually yeah. had 23, and they, they uh, pared it down to 20 in one season. Led the Cowboys in sacks 11 straight years that he played for the Cowboys. Two tall Jones. Uh, there's a lot of guys uh, from the Cowboys back then that deserve that recognition, and I, I think I deserve it. If I see Swan in there and he's all deco sure. receiver, then why shouldn't Drew Pearson? It's be? sort of the Steve Garvey syndrome. If you know the guy who you were playing, you know, was playing baseball when you were playing football, put up great numbers, was this iconic figure of the sport for a generation. And yet, the further away you get from it, the numbers don't look good. And so if right. people don't have those visceral memories of it, it starts to get away. If you start, well, he doesn't have Andre Reed's numbers. Well, listen, is Andre Reed as good as Drew Pearson was? All due respect to Andre Reed, yeah. he was not. Um, the thing that occurs to me is, and, you know, Super Bowl thirteen was playing on the NFL Network, uh, uh, you know, this week. And I love watching that original broadcast. And mm-hmm. the thing that occurs to me, as I'm sure it does most people, is how many 
legends were out on the field for that. I mean, Tony Dorsett, Roger Staubach turns around, gives it to Tony Dorsett. And yes, I am saying it correctly for both of you Dallas guys. He <laughs> grandfathered me in. I asked him because I'm from Pittsburgh. He's from Aliquippa, Hopewell, and where my mother's from. And I said, is it cool if I still go with the old school pronunciation of Dorsett instead of the fancified Dorsett? And he said, please, please do yeah. go with that. You're, well, I saw him the PA other day. Guy. He still wants Dorsett. <laughs> well, but he let me do it. Now I'm allowed to do what I please. because you're from Pittsburgh. That's he just, right. Uh, playing toward you, but listen, this. But there was a hall of famers everywhere. Me, yes. Joe Green, and Jack Lambert, and Jack Ham, and Mel Blunt. Is it maybe it's just a function of that they can't put everyone from the era in that they feel like, all right, enough. We have so many Steelers and Cowboys in from that era. We got it. We can't just jam the keep jamming. I, I feel like that maybe that's part of the reason why you're not in. Is that a fair hypothesis? I, I, I think so. When you look at the body of work that makes up the Hall of Fame, the the voting for the Hall of Fame committee, and uh, they come up with reasons like that, yeah. you know. Uh, we were talking about that in a production meeting. Uh, you know, if we win those two games against the Steelers, maybe we have more uh, players in the Hall of Fame than the Steelers might. But you look at all the Steelers in, because they were labeled that team of the decade, but, you know, what is the criteria? Nobody well, knows. That's the problem. I, you know, I you're going to criticize me I'll for tell you not what it winning is. two Super Bowls. I'll and tell you what the criteria is. There's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that haven't even smelled the Super Bowl. We talked to Rod Woodson on this show. We love to play the game with him, right Hall or nothing. And Rod Woodson says, was this guy the best or second best at his position mm-hmm. in the era or for any stretch of time? And I would say Drew Pearson certainly was. In the say in the when I became lucid about football, I perceived you to be the the best uh, wide receiver, or at least one of the two or three best wide receivers in uh, in pro football. Let's get back to because there's so many great things. Super Bowl thirteen. I want to talk mm-hmm. about the failure to get to a rematch in Super Bowl fourteen because of Billy Waddy in the final minutes there in uh, in Dallas Stadium, all that stuff. But first, let's talk about present day. You still in Dallas uh, do some radio and TV stuff, focusing on them. So let's talk about the present state. What is it to you? What, where do you come down on, first of all, the lightning rod of all lightning rods in, uh, in pro football and maybe in sports right now, Tony Romo. What's your perception? Is he the guy to get the Cowboys back to the top of the football mountain? Well, he better be the guy because we've invested everything in him. And uh, what Jerry has to do to help to help him is put some players around him. And I think he's starting to realize that by drafting uh, offensive linemen, mm-hmm. spending number one picks on offensive line. We got Travis Frederick right there, number one pick at center. You got Tyron Smith out there at left tackle. He's a former number one pick. Now you got Zach Martin. They're going to mm-hmm. pencil him at right guard. And so he's got three uh, number one picks around him. But uh, Tony just has to – what Tony uh, is fighting is the legacy of that position. And it's Staubach, it's Aikman, but it's also Danny White too because he had success. He took us three straight championship games after Staubach mm-hmm. retired. We took Staubach out of the offense and put Danny in, and he just rolled right with it. So that's what he's dealing with. And the legacy is built not just on games and gaudy stats and things like that. The legacy is built on – Playoff opportunities, playoff victories, Super Bowl opportunities, and Super Bowl victories. And so Tony hasn't scratched the surface in that regard. You know, he's made a lot of money more than any any of those, actually all those quarterbacks put together when you add their salaries. So, you know, uh, but that's not the answer. And that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for playoff victories in Dallas, and that's what Tony 
has to produce. Is it fair to say that he or anyone else, I, this is something that's been coming up uh, uh, quite a bit over the last few weeks, um, is the idea that, of course, ultimately professional athletes have a different level of confidence. You know, there's a cockiness to almost every pro athlete that I've met there, and that's part of the reason why you Absolutely. guys can thrive there. But at some point, doesn't it have to be in Tony Romo's head that, yeah, I mean, he's a human being. When it is four minutes, when it's crunch time in, in, in the big game, in the fourth quarter, doesn't it have to register to him, I can't, I, this can't happen again. I cannot press too much. I can't try to jam passes in there. Because it does seem to be a recurring problem for him. Is it now at some point, uh, uh, you know, a, a psychological thing that's getting in his way? I hope it is, you know, because that makes him aware of the situation hmm. that he's in. When you're in that situation, you're the quarterback. You're one of the best players on the team, if not the best player on the offense. You're the one that can't mess up, you know. It might be people around you messing up, but you can't mess up. You know, it's like Staubach. He could not mess up in that in those situations where he, you know, came back 23 times and f- pull out fourth-quarter victories, I think 12 or 13 times in the final two minutes. He can't mess up, you know. He has to raise his game, and then hopefully everybody raises their game to, to at, at so you're on that same level. Well, that's what Tony has to do. You know, he's raised his game throughout the, the three quarters to get him there. Now you're really counting on him. He can't be the one to make that mistake. Maybe it's a receiver ran the wrong route or somebody mm-hmm. fumbled or something like that. The offensive line missed the blitz block or got Tony sacked or whatever it be. It can't be him. If he's your best player, your highest paid player, it can't be him that is the problem. He has to be the solutions to all the problems, not be the problem. Well, I'll tell you, Dave and I don't fall on the same uh, side of the fence on this. He calls me a Romo-apologist. Romo-apologist is the word. Please please use it, Drew, if you want to on the airwaves. Thank you. I will. (laughs) I'd just be be curious to see what you think of this. I think Tony Romo is the best player on the team. You know, DeMarco Murray makes a nice 20-yard run, and everyone says how great he is. But when Mm -hmm. does DeMarco Murray suit up for a full 16 games and play hard all 16 games? DeMarco Murray runs for minus three yards. Nobody's all over him. Uh, You know, Romo, uh, last year at Washington, he put this team in position to win in Week 17 and got hurt. I don't discount that he's had some late-game blunders, but he also was tied for the most comebacks in the NFL since 2011. And my perception is, if you throw 31 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, how can you be a turnover machine? Yeah. And if you throw 31 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, you're a pretty good football player. So who on the Cowboys is better than Romo? In other words, if they didn't have him, I think they're a 4-12 team last year. They're the worst defense in the league last year, Drew, 32nd. Yeah, and, uh, well, when you think of Staubach and Aikman and their success, they both had great defenses to go with that success. You know, we had the doomsday back in the 70s and early 80s, and, of course, uh, with with Troy, they had uh, Hall of Famers. You know, Haley will be there one day. Deion Sanders, Woodson will be a Hall of Famer one day. They had a, Russell Maryland. They had a lot of great players on that defense. And that defense then, with Jimmy Johnson set up, he set up a defense that was built on speed. Yep. You know, speed was always a big part of the game, but it was always in certain positions, wide receiver, running back, cornerback. But Jimmy Johnson implemented speed in every position. You know, Eric Williams, you know, the offensive tackle, probably could run a 40 better than me. You <laughs> know, that's what Jimmy was looking for, and that's what he had with that defense. But the point is, those quarterbacks had great defense to get the ball back for the offense and get it back to them with good field position. When you look at the Cowboys and that sorry defense they trot out there for the last couple years, 
you know, every time Tony starts a drive or the offense starts to drive, it's 20 uh, from the 20 and trying to go 80 yards or more. Mm-hmm. And there is never any situation. Nobody's creating turnovers. There's no, you know, situation where you're getting the ball where you got to go Short fields. 20, uh, 30 yards to get in the end zone. So, you know, I think. If Tony's going to be your guy, you certainly got to build the offense around him. You need those weapons. Uh, you need that running game. You need to take advantage of that running game. Because one thing Tony Romo does very well, and I think he might be the best quarterback in the league in this regard, he's a great ball handler. He could stick it in, pull it out, and you don't know where it is. It's play action. Uh, part of that offense is uh, a big part of what Tony does. And uh, but to make that effective, you got to run the football, mm-hmm. and so they need to run the football a little more, which will make Tony more effective. I, you know, he's what the thirty four, thirty four years old. He had coming off two back surgeries in eight nine months, and you know that's the real question right mm-hmm. now going forward with Tony Romo. Will he be able to sustain? Troy Shit. Aikman made some comments. You know, he had a back uh, surgery as well, and he said, you know, it's, you feel fine. You know, but the key is, can you? What are you going to do when you get hit? Can you take that hit? And uh, we have yet to see that. We'll probably won't see that till the regular season starts. You know, for the Cowboys. And then, what if he can't take that hit? Where do we go to? Well, then all the state of Texas, uh, but the air is sad out. that they don't <laughs> yeah. uh, that they didn't take Johnny football. What would have happened mm. in that state? I mean, I was at in Radio City. The buzz in that joint was electric from about pick four on until Manziel finally went to 22, but it was never higher than when the Cowboys were about to pick because it looked as though they're going to do this. That You yeah. know, he is, uh, you know, Jerry's going to pull the trigger on this one and bring in Johnny Football. First of all, do you think they should have done that? And secondly, what, what would it have been? You know, this is something Elliot and I talk a lot about is, well, the Cowboys have such pressure on them and the quarterback especially. I say, ah, it's pro football. Everybody has mm-hmm. pressure on them at this point. Um, but if Johnny Football with that Heisman Trophy from A&M then takes over the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, what would that have been like? Would uh, that have been a good move, too, by the way? No, I don't think it would have been a good move for the Cowboys. It would have been a distraction. Hmm. Uh, and then the question is, you know, as soon as Ronimo throws an interception, the crowd starts yelling for Johnny Football, and, you know, he'd be Johnny Cowboy by then, you know. And they'd be calling him, you know. Now you're creating a situation where you might have some dissension within your football team. Yeah, some guys want Johnny Football or Johnny Manziel, and some guys want Romo in there. You know, his loyalists, like Witten and all those guys, they want to go with Romo. And the new guys coming in, they, you know, they say, hey, we couldn't do it with Romo. Let's see if we can do it with Manziel. Uh-huh. It would have been a nice luxury if the Cowboys could afford that luxury, but they can't afford that luxury. They can't afford to have a 16th round draft pick, you know, sitting on the bench uh, learning the game. Mm. They need players that can play and help this football team immediately all right we got to because we're going to wrap it up fairly soon i want to go some fast action here elliot jump in here i feel like there's some watershed moments in pro football history that if they had gone a little bit differently i want to get your thoughts on that first of all elliot here contends that had jackie smith caught the pass in the end zone in super bowl 13 to tie the game the Cowboys would have gone on to win. I say it would only tie the game. It's not like you guys take the lead and go on to win. How say you? You know, Elliot mentioned lives in Farmers Branch, and that told me something about him. He's pretty smart 
anyway because that's a great community and everything. But, to, you know, I agree with you, man. I think uh, that would have gave us the momentum, the confidence to, to roll right through the rest of that football game. We came out of the half. You know, we had that play in our game plan for about four or five weeks. Coach Landry would do this. He would put a play in the game plan knowing that it wasn't necessary for that opponent coming up, but maybe an opponent down the road. And the reason he put it in the game plan is so that we could practice it. And then when he was ready to use it, you know, man, bam. You know, so he finally was ready to use We thought we were going to use it throughout the playoffs. Uh, never happened. Now we get in the Super Bowl in that situation. We put Dorsett in motion. They, the Steelers did exactly what we thought they would do. They, everybody would go with Dorsett. You snap it. Give them, don't give them time to adjust. Jackie Smith sneaks under the, the coverage and the movement. And he's wide open in the end zone. And... I think the thing about that play is that he was too wide open. And yeah. uh, Roger saw that. And Roger takes cr- the credit for it not happening instead of blaming Jackie Smith for Why, dropping it. Why, a little it. behind them? No, because he said he took something off it. Ah. And he thought Smith was coming in, uh, the pass was coming in a little harder than it actually did. And because he was so wide open, Roger just kind of lobbed it in there. And with Jackie's movement and then falling backwards, you know, he just couldn't couldn't control it and make well, that catch. Elliot and you have weighed in now, and um, I'm sorry, you're both wrong. The Steelers would have still won the game. <laughs> Elliot, what else do you have? Well, I, I'm curious. I have a lot of old games on VHS and DVD, and one thing that you always did was go over the middle and, mm-hmm. and get hammered. That's really a lot of what you were known for is being willing to yeah. go over the middle. What do you think of the rules right now? Do you like them or not like them? about what defensive players are allowed to do and not allowed to do. Well, I like them. It gives me an opportunity to come back. <laughs> <laughs> do it. You know, I mean, with these roles, I, I just read uh, not Mo- recently. Move not- over, Terrence Williams. Drew Pearson's <laughs> the new second guy on the uh, <laughs> lining up at wide receiver. I love it. Yeah, I read somewhere somebody asked Lynn Swan that same question. He gave the same type of answer. <laughs> he said, yeah, I could play now because you can't hit him in the knee. You can't hit him in the head. You know, you put a little uh, uh, padding on your, your midsection, your shoulders, and you got it covered. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I think the rules are good for the game because I think offense is what the game should be about. And if the receivers can't get open, you know, unless they change the rules, then let's change them so they can get open. Because, uh, again, that's what the fans want to see. Everybody wants the great defense. Defense wins championships and all that. But offense, as they say, puts the uh, people in the seats, and that makes it exciting. And so uh, uh, the rules are – mostly changed as far as hitting in the head and all that for safety. Uh, but I don't know if that's good for the game. You know, it's still football. You know, you got to get hit sooner or later out there. So you can't just protect every aspect of the game or every aspect that a player might, a situation that he might run into to and uh, have a rule change to try to avoid an injury in that situation. But uh, with the uh, one bump at the line of scrimmage, with the uh, way they can – what they can hit and what they can't hit downfield, and then with the lack of talent. I think there's just a tremendous lack of talent at cornerback in hmm. the NFL. And, you know, you look around the league and most of the guys that are playing, you know, especially when you get go through the season, your starters get hurt and you're bringing in guys off the street and trying to fill in and stuff like that. And you look at these guys and say, hmm. 
start licking your licking your lips and wishing you can get some of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, we talk about Super Bowl thirteen, Super Bowl fourteen the next year. Billy Waddy in uh, Dallas Stadium, uh, the, the ball goes through Texas Stadium. Or Texas Stadium yeah. goes. And t- go. I think a cowboy right tips on, it. I'm pumping them Billy, five. Uh, Billy Waddy <laughs> catches it and runs in. I was thrilled yeah. as a Steelers fan because I didn't want to play the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Um, then in 1981, the NFC title game, it's funny, I talked to a lot of people who are devoted pro football fans, and they don't know what happened. The catch is behind maybe the, uh, the Immaculate Reception, the, the second most famous single play in pro football history, maybe. And people forget that right after that, Danny White hits Drew Pearson right at the 50-yard line. You appear for a split second to be gone. You, right. It looks like as there's 58 seconds left on the clock when Dwight Clark catches that pass. It appears Drew Pearson is gone for a touchdown and Eric Wright, if I'm not mistaken, Eric, is that yeah. who it was? Yes. Reaches out and gets you by the horse collar. Would have been a penalty today. Right. Reaches out by, by a fingernail, grabs you by the collar and gets you down. Other And then Danny White fumbles, I think, on the next play and then that well, ends it. Wasn't it wasn't a fingernail. I would have run through it. That's there. true. Come I'm on, sorry. Man. I don't mean to say you're... <laughs> I would have read through that, but no, he did yeah. grab it initially and then reinforced the grab by... Now, he had the jersey, then reinforced the grab by grabbing the jersey and the shoulder pad and yanking me down. Yeah, that was a surprise because I thought I was open. You know, I told Danny, I'm going to run this in route, and this is Danny's first game, and he's taking over for Starbuck in this key situation. I know he wants to establish his own go-to guy, whatever. But I'm taking charge in this situation. I said, I'm going to run this in route. When I come off the line of scrimmage, I notice I'm double covered. Uh, Ronnie Lott and Carlton Williamson. But I, when the pass came, I saw those guys collide. So mm-hmm. I'm catching it. I'm thinking I got twenty, at least 20 more yards to run before I even get touched. So I was surprised. And then that would have been the most famous play yeah, in, well, in even, NFL history if you even, score on that one. Even with my speed, we could have gotten field goal range. You know, I don't <laughs> and, know if I would have scored. And but. a very reliable – Rafael Septiano was one right. of the top kickers in the league at that point. Yeah, and that could have you know put us, set us up to at least tempt the field goal. But I was surprised as anyone that uh, I was able, uh, that he grabbed me in that situation. So I get back to the huddle. I'm telling Danny, okay – I ran the in route, line me up on the other side, fake in, and run the bench route to the sideline. We catch it, step, skip out of bounds. But at the same time, he told Tony Hill to run the same route on the other side. Hmm. Well, Tony gets held up at the line of scrimmage, and he's fighting the, the, the cornerback to get downfield. Danny's waiting, waiting on Tony instead of looking at me. And uh, by that time, he gets hit, fumbles, and game over. Well, I don't want to end on that sour note, yeah, but, uh, but listen. I'm going to start plug crying up. in a minute. I could sit here for the next two hours, and Elliot could sit here for the next 20 and hear all the stories. I'd love to go over all of it. You have to go do fancy television yes. now. Go be on Total Access. Make sure you find Drew Pearson the rest of this week here, um, like I say, on Total Access, yapping about the 70s, those battles with the Steelers and Vikings and Raiders and all the great teams. The greatest era for my money in yes. NFL history because it was top-heavy. You had five five or six of the all-time great teams battling one another for supremacy. And the Dolphins, don't let me forget, who you whipped oh, yeah. in uh, Super Bowl six. Hey, Dave, just so you know, in that game that you're talking about, old number 2-4 Everson Wells picked Joe Montana twice in that game. Tony right. Romo gets picked twice like that, Twitter blows up. Oh, yeah. no, that was that's the Romo apologies. Do you hear this, and, Drew? And uh, Walls was a rookie. And Walls was a rookie, yep. yep. 
That's right. Another they called him Toast early in his career. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Anyway, listen, Drew Pearson, go have a good time. What a pleasure right, to meet you, sir. Thanks for having and, me. Elliot, uh, pleasure to meet you, man. We're gonna look, I don't know about this Steelers fan, but I think but I, I was terrific. I was a lot of fun. No, I was you were very good, gracious. <laughs> you are gracious. <laughs> I look forward to you putting on that gold jacket. All right. God bless you. Thanks, guys. All right, Elliot, that's it. You got to scram. Get out of here. But, uh, you know, I hope that was fun meeting Drew. <laughs> was that fun? It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I really do feel sad. I would like to have had another hour and a half at least. I, I do, and I feel bad for throwing Mike Renfro under the bus. I really like Mike Renfro. And ah. his play against the Steelers, that's my number five play against the 70s. Or his non-play, which was a catch. Well, that was that. You can't really put that one in. That's the start of the 80s. Ah, uh, come on. I put it in. I think it's that's still 1979 season. But. I feel like that's like, I think that's the second or third of January that played. You're for right. Some it's reason. 1980, but it's the 79 season, and you know it was a catch. Doesn't mean the Oilers would have no, won. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. I'll be honest with you. I've gone back, and in fact, I tweeted this out, and I don't lie on Twitter. Shame the devil. <laughs> I, where was, that's, that's certainly not a place where I would ever tell a fib. I have said this. I, enough time has passed now. And I'm a big enough man that I can admit this now. That was a catch. And I think if they went back, if they had instant replay, I th- what my contention has always been, and what we're talking about is 1979 title game. The Houston Oilers visited Three Rivers two straight seasons. They came up short. They got whipped the first time 34-5, to I believe. The second time, it was a much closer game. And, in fact, the Oilers could have tied the game on the first play of the fourth quarter on that fade pass, or maybe that was the last play last of the Last play of the third, third quarter, quarter. Yep. yep. Yeah. And the no. field goal was the first play of the fourth quarter. You had it right. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Anyway, yeah. they th- Dan Pastorini, Dante, who could really spin it, by the way, threw it into the corner of the end zone to Mike Renfro. He, it appeared that he got both feet down or maybe was juggling it. The ref on the field called him out of bounds. Didn't call cor- anything. He, that's the problem. He didn't call. He, he literally didn't call anything. Mike Is Renfro. Right? When you see Mike Renfro, and by the way, we have video of all these plays in, embedded in the article on NFL.com, so you can watch the Renfro play. Watch when Renfro turns around, he holds the ball, and you can see him yelling, what's the call? What's he, no, the call? He, in one motion, how you know he has control of it, and, the, and this is me using uh, common sense, he knows that he was in full pose- possession of that because of his instant reaction. You can always tell by athletes yep. if the ball hit them because their instinct is to point, oh, that guy that hit him. And if they don't do that, there there's a a, a a hair of a second where that you can feel them calculate to yeah. do it. And that his reaction was clearly sincere. You watch him as he's rolling to the ground; he sticks his finger up in the air to celebrate the touchdown. He knows he's in. I've gone back and looked at it, and my contention has always been: if there were replay. If the call on the field is incomplete, there wouldn't have been anything there that was conclusive enough to overturn it. Looking at it, I think the refs would have. I think that right. I, when I watch it, there's enough there that they would have done it. But again, only would have tied the game. Wouldn't have won the Oilers the game. Right. And if you're a, a, a younger listener, uh, this play is very synonymous with the Calvin Johnson play against the Bears a few years ago where you knew Calvin Johnson had control of the football. He was just setting the ball down to celebrate the touchdown. Same way that you knew Mike Renfro had control because he immediately turns around, he puts the finger up, and he looks at the ref. The fact that they made no call, I've never seen that before, where the ref just makes no call. 
That's no, better than what happened in uh, Seattle a couple years ago I with agree the fail mayor making opposing goals. All right, listen, Elliot Harrison, what a pleasure to talk about uh, pro football history with you and with Drew Pearson. Thanks for coming in today. You betcha, man. All right, well, that's that. More, we've said enough. We've said more than enough now. We started out with Rosenthal. Thanks to him. Make sure you subscribe to the Around the League podcast and follow along with all the good work they're doing at NFL.com. Handsome Hank. Drew Pearson for joining us in 66, Chris Long for calling in, Elliot Harrison for joining us. All great stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with more Huey and Applesauce on the other side of the weekend. In the meantime, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. They say every dog has its day, but when you're Lulu and your parents drive a Camry, every day is your day. The roomy rear seat is the perfect, whoa, is that the dog park? Backseat besties, it's a Camry vibe. The all-new, all-hybrid Camry. Toyota, let's go places. Burgers are best fresh from the grill. Well, more specifically, burgers with Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. It's so rich and creamy that it instantly makes any burger irresistible. And what backyard barbecue is complete without some potato salad? Not just any potato salad, of course. Potato salad highlights the rich, creamy goodness of Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. So if you want to take your barbecue season to the next level, stock up on Hellman's Real Mayonnaise. For great recipe ideas, visit hellmans.com.